Joining us now from somewhere near Heartland, Minnesota, is our good friend, Mr. Al Bat. Good morning, Al. Hey, good morning. Good morning, everyone. Hope you are having the best of days. Uh, before I forget, I want to thank everybody that was on the Pelican Breeze with me. We uh, we took two boats out, and uh, if we'd been thinking, we'd have filled a third one. It just, everybody wanted to get out uh, at the end of July, so we just had a... It was a beautiful day to be out on the water and listen to somebody uh, bloviate like me, I guess. <laughs> so it was it was fun. And my walk this morning, the utility wires are just laden with with swallows. They're just uh, everywhere. Uh, it's fun to see them, but it you know it kind of means that the, the times are summers already zooming by. Uh, we have purple martins and rough wing swallows, but the ones I've been seeing have been barn bank cliff and tree swallows and they're aptly named barn swallows nest in buildings Uh, thomas jefferson called it the american swallow and the barn swallow is the national bird of austria and estonia and in many cultures a barn swallow nest in a barn or on a house is considered good luck there's a native american legend that tells of a barn swallow that dared to steal fire from the gods and give it to man and uh, that it angered the gods because the gods were always angry about something so they shot flaming arrows at the birds and one hit the swallow in the tail burning away the central tail feathers. And since that day, the barn swallow has had what we consider a swallow tail. Uh, cliff swallows, so barn swallows nest in barns. Cliff swallows, they nest on natural cliffs and man-made structures such as bridges, culverts, and sides of buildings. Bank swallows nest in financial institutions, of course, uh, all your community banks, and not really. They prefer exposed vertical sand banks and bluffs. Uh, Tree swallows, they nest in dead trees, woodpecker holes, and nest boxes. The name swallow is likely derived from an old English swell, meaning to swirl, a reference to the bird's swooping flight. Or from the Old Norse, swala, meaning a cleft stick, referring to its tail. And I was thinning files. I bet a lot of you do that every so often. You just look at these piles, and you think, man, i got to look through this. And I came across a nice note from Doris Mager. And I met Doris years ago, but she was, she was famous. In 1979, she perched among the branches of a gangly... I don't remember if it was a loblolly or a longleaf pine for a week in a sturdy, inactive bald eagle's nest 50 feet off the ground in Florida. And she didn't do this because there were no bald hotel rooms were available. She did it to call attention to the plight of the bald eagle, also as a fundraiser. And because she said she'd always wanted to sleep overnight in a nest while well, she slept there for a week, uh, she devoted the previous 17 years of her life to rescuing and rehabilitating raptors. And the Eagle Lady raised the funds needed to complete the construction of the Audubon Center for Birds of Prey. Marlon Herfindahl said he saw two pairs of trumpeter swans with five signets each, saw some red-headed woodpeckers, 
Sandhill Crane and Western Metalarks near the South Dakota border. Lowell Schuster of Wells saw Sandhill Cranes. Uh, Ken Nelson of Clarks Grove asked, when did the Baltimore Orioles leave? Uh, well, as the Baltimore Oriole babies become independent, the parents molt their body and flight feathers, and some migrate in some migrated last month already. But migration for Baltimore Orioles peaks in August and September. And I have a small jelly feeder that I keep out. It sits on the window, and a lot of young Orioles there now. And I also have a male uh, orchard Oriole, just a beauty, and he is coming in there and also feeding. Somebody uh, that was sent me two questions, insect questions, says, when do I hear cicadas in Minnesota? We hear the sound of that distant buzzsaw of a dog day cicada in early July, and it continues into September. And folklore says when you hear the first song of the dog day cicada, frost is six weeks away. Oh. Uh, yeah, that can't be true. No. It's not always true, so it, we're going to go with that. And the other question is, uh, he was a retired farmer, and he said, do rootworms come at the time when we first see fireflies? And I heard that all my life. Uh, farmers passed that around, and it's a common belief that the presence of fireflies in the evening is a signal that corn rootworm eggs might be hatching. Oh, and it, they might be, but the presence of lightning bugs doesn't always mean that an egg hatch is occurring. So uh, that's one of those that uh, yes, no, and maybe. And a, a listener who was on the Pelican Breeze, and I didn't get the name, she said, you talked about male hummingbirds. They really don't help the female with the nestlings. <laughs> Uh, you know, hummingbird moms are single mothers. Uh, male hummingbirds provide no care to their offspring. They are deadbeat dads. A, a father hummingbird is a faux pas, P-A, at the end there. Uh, the female, she uses moss, lichens, grass, and spider webs to build a nest in which she lays two tiny eggs, and she just, she's amazing. Are, are the male but, and the female about the same size with hummingbirds? Yeah, pretty close. Okay, so it's hard to tell the difference except that he's kind of a lazy one. Yeah, and he's got a little more color Ah. to him, too. And um, I used to say they're more aggressive, and they certainly are at times. But, boy, if you get close to that ma's nest there, she is pretty aggressive, too. Uh, Vicki Laroon sent me a photo that uh, Tom had taken of a Cooper's hawk. And she says she's been using Merlin's ID on her phone, and she's sometimes surprised by its ID. Yeah, and uh, I think we all are, Vicki. It's a, a work in progress, so it's certainly not gospel yet. Uh, the one I get all the time when I try it out, it seems like, it's one of the first things that pop up. We have chipping sparrows, and they sound sort of like an insect trill, but... Quite often, Merlin says it's a worm-eating warbler. And that is because a chipping sparrow, in one of its calls, one of its songs, it sounds like a worm-eating warbler. So it's still confusing Merlin. So it'll say, I have worm-eating warblers in my yard, which would be so cool. 
but uh, what I have is is just as cool. They're chipping sparrows, beautiful little birds, but they're still the more it's used, I think the more the more right it will become. It, it it's learning. As we know, AI learns, and it's learning. So I think it's going to get better and better and better and better. It still amazes me. Uh, Every couple weeks I'll sit on the deck maybe and just fire that baby up and just see what it tells me is out there. And I have both uh, red-bellied and red-headed woodpeckers who make somewhat similar calls, and, boy, it nails them. It, it just does a, an amazing job on that. So it's a, it's an incredible world. You know, we talk about the good old days. I, I mean, these are the best days. It's just uh, it's remarkable. Somebody asked when I'd be on the Pelican Breeze just now, a text, uh, not till August 27th is the okay. next time we're going to be on there. Um you had sent me something about the wonderful moon we're going to get today and well, then yeah. later. By the way, happy this. August. So that's why I it, it popped up on my good old farmer's almanac about the moon. It's the sturgeon full moon, and then there's a blue moon, which means it's a repeat. So I thought, yeah, I know you kind of follow these sorts of things. So let's talk about what is the sturgeon supermoon. Sure. It's a supermoon, I guess they call it. Yeah, I had a great uncle named August. Uh, you know, in those days... They lost a couple of baby boys, and they were both named August. So he was the third August and uh, went on to become a lawyer. And my mom used to talk about his funeral all the time. I can't remember why, if there was a rhubarb or it was just a a nice, I want to believe it was just a nice funeral. (laughs) And uh, I, I don't know when it was or anything. I believe it was the end of August, though. August so he was we have a moon a it's called the the full moon the moon last night was beautiful I thought Mm -hmm. I was out walking it'll be August 1st and it is called the full sturgeon moon and uh, why we're going to have super moons and what is super moon it doesn't mean the moon has, has a cape it seems like it should have a cape doesn't it like superman right. saying wow it's got a cape it's when the moon is closest to us in its orbit then it's a super moon and the one we have we're going to have what four in a row i think this time wow and the second one now august 1st is super moon is uh, called the sturgeon moon. Isn't the sturgeon yeah. a fish, right? Isn't it right? It is. And I I don't know where I read it, but there's like 29 different species. This one is named for the lake sturgeon found in the Great Lakes, I believe. Ah. But some of these 29, they said one has the size of a Volkswagen. And I just, that's a big fish. You hook that <sighs> baby, you know, you're going to have to probably have help to land it. No kidding. It's uh, the sturgeon moon, it exceeds the disk size of an average size moon, I think up to 8%, and the brightness is like 16 or 17% brighter. But it's called the Lake Sturgeon because that's when the Lake Sturgeon was uh, was available to people and they could catch them, and it was uh, that's why it was called that. And traditionally, each full moon name was applied to the entire lunar month, not solely the full moon. But this is a little different. The Sturgeon Moon will be followed by what the thirtieth, 
I think, is when the next one is coming, and that one will be a blue moon. And what is a blue moon? Well, the blue moon of Kentucky song. Mm-hmm. It's a uh, blue moon is a term that's most commonly, I know people use blue moon for other things, and we often hear uh, folks say, boy, I haven't seen you in a blue moon. <laughs> It's commonly used when we have two full moons in a single month. So it'll be Wednesday, I think it's a Wednesday, August 30th will be the next one. And it'll supposedly be the biggest, closest, and brightest supermoon of 2023. So it'll be a big one to see. You know, there was the Cree... A lot of the names we get for moons come from Native Americans. The Cree called... Uh, flying up moon for an August full moon and that was describing the time when young birds are finally ready to take the leap and learn to fly. The Algonquin and the Ojibwe had corn moon. The Dakota was harvest moon. Uh, Anishinaabe had ricing moon because that was the time to gather maturing crops. And there was another uh, peoples who named it the black cherries moon and i believe that uh referred to when choke cherries become Ah. ripe Mm -hmm. so they choke cherries were a big thing for those so there were all kinds of different names for these moons but boy you know it's a it's pretty cheap entertainment just to sit down and look at that beautiful moon and just marvel at its beauty and then you'll be able to see that it certainly is a rabbit in the moon, on the moon, not a man on the moon. That'd be silly. How would a man get up there and roam around? <laughs> rabbit you can see, so there'll be a rabbit up there. The sturgeon, I remember being uh, on Lake Superior probably, and they were telling me that those sturgeons, it's like 20 years before they start reproducing. So it's uh, it was probably a, a huge thing to get out there and gather those sturgeons. They have whiskers like uh, what we would think of catfish, and they can live, and I hope I'm right on this, if I remember on that boat, they reproduce 20 years old, and then they reproduce like every four or five years, and they live up to 150 years old, so that's how you get as big as a Volkswagen. Do, do people fish for them to eat, or do they just do it for sport? I mean, I... I guess I really have no idea if people go out and say, I'd like some sturgeon for supper, for example. Yeah, I, I'm sure they probably do. Uh, I, I know we have a sturgeon general that takes care of fish. It, I don't know if I've ever eaten sturgeon. I don't think so. But apparently the good folks back uh, used to have this big, when they catch sturgeon, I'm sure they were eating them. And I'm sure there's some people who are listening who say, oh, man, sturgeon, that's that's like a great thing. So I know they were eaten by a lot of folks because the lake sturgeon is pretty rare today. And why is it rare? Well, one of the reasons is overfishing. Mm-hmm. So probably in the like the 19th century, they overfished it. So uh, apparently it's good eating, and then we also have problems with pollution and damage sure. to their habitat. But I don't think I've ever had sturgeon, but I bet a lot of people have, and it's it's probably good. You know, everything is good, I guess, if you're hungry enough <laughs> and they, uh, they fix it rightly. Sometimes it just depends on who the cook is, Karen. 
Right. You know, if you know a good cook, <laughs> even when they fix you something that's not up to their normal standards, perhaps, they have an off day, it's still good. Right. Because they have that rich history. And you say, well, man, everything she makes is always delicious. So it must just be me today. That uh, is why I'm not finding this as flavorful as it should be. But I hope we all get out there and see these moons. I don't know what time it's going to be. Well, I hope today. it said it's supposed to be cloudy, so I hope we can see it, actually. That, you know, I suppose oh. it depends on where you're at, but uh, I saw it mostly cloudy, but maybe it'll clear up later, I hope, to to be able to see it, because they are so beautiful. But you ever notice when you try to take a picture of them, they just don't look as glorious in your picture as they do in the sky, unless you've got some uh, fancy yeah. camera or setting or something that you know how to do it. Yeah, and I move all those settings because I think I know what I'm doing once in a while, <laughs> and this is what you're supposed to do. And I, I remember going to a seminar. Uh, it was how to how to shoot the northern lights and moons. Oh. And, of course, they had all kinds, and they're showing you all these slides, and holy cow, they were so good. But, you know, you get out there, and you're doing it, and sometimes the moon actually dances. It just kind of moves a little bit through the lens. So it... Um, yeah, I keep trying, though. And, you know, once in a while, you get one, you say, oh, man, I've got this nailed now. I got this, I'll be able to do it every time, and and, and it it doesn't happen again. See, and I keep sa- saving the settings when I get a good one, but it still doesn't work. See, I've got a couple of text here that I'd like to share sure. with you. Uh, actually, for you, this is from our friend Jennifer again. Hello, ma'am. Please ask the bird guy about this big bird that's been soaring above my yard. I'm pretty sure it's a hawk of some sort. This bird has been flying around in circles for the past few days, just gliding around way up high. Do you think he could be hunting my cats? How big would a bird of prey need to be to take down a chunky a chunky cat? Ours are 14 and 18 pounds, oh my gosh, of ill-tempered mm. floof. <laughs> Do I need to worry about them becoming someone's some birdie's lunch? Thank you, Jennifer. Um, thank you, Jennifer. Yeah, it's it, it's very possible it's a turkey vulture, too, if it's circling around up there. It could be a uh, red-tailed hawk would be the other one you think of, and it's like they're buffering. They're just going around and around and around and around. The one we think of doing that the most often is still probably turkey vultures, and they are big birds. As far as... Uh, and. The turkey vulture would be no threat to cats whatsoever unless a cat is hit by a car. Hmm. Uh, red-tailed hawk, he's not nearly as big as any of those cats, so if he's going to bother them, he'd be a fool. Uh, you know, you just, if you're a raptor, you don't want to get hurt because there's no uh, male clinic ambulance available to come and get you if you're a raptor hurt. Uh, you're not going to do well. And if you're messing with a cat that size, you're going to get hurt. That's just what's going to happen. What could take a cat that big? Uh, You know, a lot of bald eagles aren't even that big, but they'd be the one that probably could mess with a cat. But are they going to do that? They'd probably rather have a fish. So they'd be off around our lakes and things hunting for fish because it's a lot easier hunting and you're probably not going to get hurt and you don't have to mess with claws and fangs. And so, you know, I I never want to give tell everybody there's no way nothing could happen to your cats, but they should be all right. The ones that I hear most often 
uh, strafing cats are great horned owls. Oh. And I think sometimes, and that'd be at night, and I think they just, they don't know what size they are sometimes, and they think they can take everything, and then they go down, and I don't know if they just see part of the cat, maybe they see the tail or something, and they'll come down, and then they go, oh my goodness, you know, that's <laughs> that's a big cat, and then they get out of there. But I, that would be the one, they are the tiger of the woods, and they just... They will go after everything at one time or another because they're just, they're so fierce and they don't understand that they're not the biggest animal on earth. But I'll uh, be thinking of your cats, Jennifer, and I hope they... I uh, hope they'll be all right. I I'm would, sure they will. I would say, Jennifer, 16 and 18 pounds, those are pretty chunky, as she, call, as she calls them. We uh, brought our cats to the vet lately, or recently, and they are six pounds each, and they're like 8 and 12 years old, so we have little cats. Yeah. <laughs> we, our cat is just a tiny little thing. Is I it? Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, and, uh, yeah, you have many mountain lions there, Jennifer, so that's, those yeah. are big cats. And that's I why we, we keep ours inside, because, I mean, they wouldn't have a chance. And I wouldn't mess with them. I, no. You know, and I, I outweigh them by quite a bit, but there's no... Anybody's just picked up a little kitten that doesn't want to be picked up knows that cats aren't anything to mess with. Right. For sure. Hey, and I got a, a, a text from our friend John in New Ulm. He sent a couple pictures. You know, his dad, who was an artist, knew a lot of famous people. He has a picture of his dad with Tony and Andy Williams. And then, of course, John works at the theater over in New Ulm, and he says the Barbie movie has been very busy and popular. He said it's fun and goofy with some emotion and meaning. News you can use, John. And I asked our own Tim, shy boy Tim here at KMSU, I said, did, did you see the Barbie movie? And because I said to Jeff, I said, we should go see the Barbie movie. And he says, uh. And <laughs> Tim said it was really good. It was, he said it described it as very smart. So I thought, well, okay. So I told him that, and he, he's considering it. Because, you know, I love my Barbies growing up and stuff. So I don't know. Would you would you see the Barbie movie? Um, <laughs> yeah, I suppose I would. You know, it's, I don't know. It's just, I grew up around Barbies, and it's just, you're just not, I don't know. You When you think about going to a Barbie movie, <laughs> the thing that, that little cartoon bubble above my head, you know, just has extreme silliness is what. But right. I've heard it, it's wonderful, and, you know, you could make a, a double feature of it and go to Oppenheimer too, so you get, you know, he'd probably be interested in that, so you can get both of them. If you watch my movie, I'll watch your movie, kind of thing. Right? And, yeah, uh, he mentioned that Oppenheimer. I'm like, I don't know. I, I I'd rather go to Barbie. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, it's amazing, isn't it? We have two movies that are making this much of a splash. Because for a long time, when the the Oscars came around, a long time, the last few years. I'd never even seen the trailer of most of the movies that were up for Oscars. Exactly. So this is, uh, it's great that this is all going on, and I can't go very long in a day without hearing about Barbie. So it's, uh, and I never owned a Barbie. Oh, and John just responded, he's been listening to us chat, he said, you would like the Barbie movie. (laughs) Okay, then. Thanks, John. It's done, then. Gotta go see uh, it. Yeah, uh, yeah, I've heard it's just that they said uh, old duffers like me shouldn't just think Barbie and go, ew, it's really a good movie. So We'll, We'll have to see and report back to you, John. 
I like movies too, so it's uh, it's I should see more than I do, and the movie theaters are so. They're so, so comfortable now. Yeah. Uh, reclining, and uh, there's space between the rows, so when somebody gets up to go to the bathroom, they're not blocking the screen for you, and it's it's incredible how good they are now. I got uh, a note from somebody. Uh, it's a long question, but it comes down to how does, how does weather impact pheasants? You know, if we want a lot of pheasants, uh, hen health, that's the utmost important for a robust population. You don't care much about the roosters. I mean, you got to have them, but it's hens. So egg-laying, nesting, re-nesting, brood-rearing, that, that's taxing on the hens. So if we have a mild winter, that allows the hens to begin the spring reproduction season in top shape. And the average clutch is 12 eggs. And if a hen loses her nest due to cold weather, predation, uh, haying, I'm an old farmer, we baled hay, and that was hard on the pheasants, uh, flooding, she'll re-nest up to two times. And the second effort, the first one has 12 eggs, the second one will have eight eggs, and the third will have four to six eggs. And the nesting photo period, the day length, is the primary factor, but temperature also affects when pheasants will nest. And an early spring could accelerate the pheasant nesting season by a few days. So if the weather in April, May, and June is warm and dry, hens will have a good chance of pulling off a successful first nest. Spring rain and cold weather, that affects chick survival, so they can't control their temperature until they're three weeks old. Pheasants have an annual survival rate of around 50%, and it's even lower in areas with inadequate habitat during severe weather. So half the chicks don't survive until fall, and that's due to predation or mortality from farm machinery and automobiles. By the time they're 17 to 18 weeks of age, about they resemble their adults in plumage. So hot, dry summers can impede insect production, so that'll deprive chicks of protein. Uh, a really bad winter is tough, but it can be a blessing because it'll blow farm fields free of snow and uncover food. Drought conditions, that stunts vegetation growth, and that reduces the amount of cover and leaves pheasants vulnerable to winter storms. So they need precipitation like farmers, not too much, or at the wrong time, and that can be the difference between a great and poor pheasant reproduction year. So what do pheasants, how does pheasant weather affect them? In every way possible. Hey, thanks everybody for uh, sitting on the front porch with us. I'm off to work at the Freeborn County Fair. I saw a robin blow on a worm before eating it so you can tell it's fair time when that happens air conditioning is a wonderful thing i grew up without it uh, it was a learning experience i learned as a teenager that if i was going to take off my clothes and open all the windows on a scorcher of a day i should get off the school bus first i spent a few days putting on miles and miles of on my car, which caused me to realize that the U-Haul has the worst drivers on the road by far. And I walked down the road 
and I wore sandals that are fond of picking up pebbles. Oh. And I picked one up, and I began walking that weird way I do when I'm stepping on. Like, you come into a store, and they're mopping the floor. So you do that weird stepping <laughs> on the wet floor in front of a person kind of holding a mop and glaring at you. Yeah. And I hoped the pebble might tumble out. Say, well, it'll fall out. One of my coaches, Tom Smith, told me to walk things off. He gave that advice no matter what was the injury. If I'd have had two broken legs and a stubbed toe, he'd have told me to walk it off. So I figured that would apply to a pebble under my foot. I tried to walk it off, but, you know, I must suffer from gravel intolerance. As I walked, a pebble grew to be the size of a boulder. I was like Sisyphus trying to get it out of there. So I had to watch a YouTube video on how to remove a pebble from a sandal safely, and I followed the proper pebble removal protocol. <laughs> so life is good. The pebble's gone. The moon's coming. I'm headed to the fair, and you are all going to have the greatest day you ever had. Remember, Heartland is well worth driving past. Get out there and do something wild. Look at a Look at a bird. Thank you, Karen, for your wonderful company. Hey, Al, I know a lot of people might be wondering, where is this fair and when can they see you? Because a lot of people do like to see you in person and visit. So let us know when you're going to be there and where you'll be. I'll uh, be at the, uh, it's in Albert Lee at the Freeborn County Fair. I will be in the conservation building from 6 to 10. I have some other duties uh, today. I'm involved in a taste test thing, you know, where you go around, try all the different kinds of fair foods and things. So I'll be spending part of the day doing that. No, tell me what about, what are you tasting? Is it like a certain type of food or all foods in general? I guess all the foods that are available. You know, I'm kind of a traditionalist when it goes to the fair. I have a Bruno's corn dog every year. I have some Merrill's popcorn. Mm-hmm. I have maple nut ice cream, and then I have a blueberry malt. And those are my, my <laughs> standby things. So now they're dragging me out into these. Uh, you know, I remember the last time I did it, I ate alligator, and I don't know what all I was eating. So, so many of them are uh, pretty deep fried so you can't always tell what they are but <laughs> it'll be interesting this year i don't know what they have lined up for me to try but i'm going to wander around and eat things well at least it's not a, a pie eating contest or a hot dog eating contest because then you'd just get sick probably that would i can't imagine i'd, I'd be more than happy to eat pie but i don't want it to be a contest <laughs> i want to take my time i love pie all right well very good thank you al it's always great to chat with you have fun at the fair I will. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye.